Well, once again, welcome to the collective. Welcome to our retreat. Welcome to this whole day of activities and events. Does anyone know what the theme is? Anyone have any wild idea? Not the collective. Called the good life. That's what we're going to be talking about today. We're going to be looking at what is the good life? What makes up the good life? How do we achieve the good life? Does anyone think they have an idea? Raise your hand if you think you know what the good life is. Well, good. Nobody. Perfect. Well, because I've got a couple of pictures that I thought of as like, man, if I was to think about the good life, this is what I would imagine. This is what I think the good life would entail. And so as, if this is what I need you guys to do for me, if you think this picture kind of describes what you would imagine the good life to be, I need you to stand up. If not, you're like, eh, that's not really for me. I think the good life would look a little different if I could have it my way and just take a, like, just stay seated. But if you think this picture would be like, man, that is the good life, then like, I want you to stand up. Okay. All right. Well, I mean, I was like, dang, like, yes, please. Um, all right, let's check out the next picture. Okay. I don't know if you are car people. Okay, some of you guys, like, can you imagine? This is Jay Leno's garage, just so y'all know. This is a picture of Jay Leno's garage. So he's got like millions of dollars worth of really, really nice cars. All right, that's the good life. Keep that in mind. This is all the good life. Next picture. Talk about a yacht life in, in Thailand. This is exactly where this is. Like, yeah, sign me up, right? Okay, all right. Next picture. All right, take a seat, take a seat. All right, that's like, you have butler service whenever you want. You have people that cook your food for you. All you got to do is just give them a ring and be like, hey, I'll take this. And they come deliver it on a silver platter. I mean, how nice would that be if I was at breakfast this morning, right? I mean, all right, so some of you think that's a good life. Next. All right, a family. Like, okay, wow, that's more than I thought. Okay. (laughs) Some of you are like, no, my family is not the good life. You don't even know. But okay, okay, a family, a family, very nice. Next picture, closet full of shoes. Like, girls, I know these are all Nikes, but imagine if these were like your dream shoes. Okay, okay. (coughs) All right. I mean, I think it's pretty sick. Next picture, $175,000 taco. Look, no, it's straight guy has gold on it. Look at it. It is gold flakes on your taco. That's the good life, right? No? All right. All right, all right, all right. Fair enough, fair enough. Next picture. So once again, this Bora Bora, we got more like luxurious travel. You can go travel the world because you've got all the money you could ever want. That's the good life, right? Uh, take a seat, take a seat. Ooh, what if you had the bougiest closet you can dream of? Like you just walk in and you're like, wow, your closet's bigger than your bedroom. I mean, kind of nice, right? All right, take a seat, take a seat. So you guys saw a lot of different things there and a lot of different ideas of what the world, like for some reason or another, we have kind of defined this as the good life. It's like we have a lot of stuff. We have the nice, like the nicest of things and we get to the luxurious travel, all the above, right? Like you fill in the blank. But this is what I want you to think about too. Now I want you to write down in your books, what is the good life? I want you to write that down. What is the good life? Because what hopefully you guys just realized is that none of us were in, in total agreement that that one thing made up the good life. We all had different desires and we all had different ideas and thoughts as to what actually makes up this good life that we're talking about. So as you ask that question to yourself, what is the good life? I want you to then answer it for yourself. And it doesn't have to be a paragraph or a sentence. Like it can just be a couple of bullet points. But for you specifically, I want you to write down some of the things that you think about when you think about the good life. All right. We'll just take a couple of seconds. I'll give you 30 seconds or so. 
but what to you would be the good life? And so once you guys have some of those bullet points down and some of those thoughts as to what the good life is made up of for you specifically, I want you guys to look at this picture. This was the picture that we had the most agreement on that this was the good life. But I don't want you to think about this family. I want you to imagine it being your family. I want you to imagine that it's you and your parents. Because if you're like me, your parents are super different. My parents are definitely different and they're different in the way that they love me. I bet your parents are the same. I bet your parents... They still love you equally. They love you just as much as the other, but I bet they show it differently. I bet they show how much they love and care for you differently, right? Like for example, some parents might be harder on you than the other about grades or about like academics or about your gymnastics or about your sports. Like some parents might be harder on you than others. One parent might be a bit more compassionate and, 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 and show more empathy with you than another. One parent might actually spend more time with you than the other. Right? And it's not necessarily because one parent loves you more. It's just that their love looks different. And so you view their love in a different way and the way they care for you differently and what they would do for you differently. But I guarantee you, like, I don't know your parents. Only you really know your parents in that way. But I guarantee you that if you wanted someone to like, like love on you after you got a boo-boo or like to cover your wounds or like to like cuddle you at night or to wrap you up in a blanket, you're probably going to go to one parent and not the other. Am I right? Maybe, like, I don't know. Like, you may just, like, for me, I know that I would go to one of my parents more than the other if I really wanted that kind of specific love for, for that in that time. But this is what I want you to realize, is I think we often do the same thing with God. We often view God in this way. Is that just like we have different opinions on how our parents love us and care for us, and we often have different views. Each of us have different views of how God loves us and how he cares for us, Right? But this is what I want you to realize is that the way we view someone determines the way and how often we go to them. I want you to write that down because that's really important for you guys to listen to because we're going to look at this idea all day long. The way we view someone determines the way and how often we go to them. And this is what I mean by that. Just imagine like you, like math may not, like math was not my strong suit. It was not like my best, my favorite subject. It was not like my gifting So imagine like you struggle with math, right? Imagine that's you. And you know that there's someone in your class that can absolutely help you study for this test because they are so stinking good. However, you guys don't get along. They're like, for some reason, they are mean to you or they don't like you and you don't like them. And because of the way you view them, even though you know they can help you ace this test, you're not gonna go to them because of the way you view them. The way you view them determines how often or the way and how often you will go to them for help right? I think the same thing is true with how we view God. I'll give you an example of that personally. When I was in college, there was a season where I was going through a really, really, really hard time. I felt like I was emotionally bankrupt. I felt like I was alone. I felt like I had truly no friends. Like no one really knew me. Like I had a lot of friends, but I had no friends, if you know what I mean. Like I didn't feel loved by anyone. I felt known by tons of people, but not really loved by anyone. And in that season of life, I truly did not think that God wanted me to have the good life. I didn't think that God cared about me or that he even loved me enough because of the things that I was caught up in. And in that, I truly felt like God didn't care about me because I kept disappointing him. Because I felt like I was failing him because I never felt like I was enough. I never was adding up to who God needed me to be. And so I wasn't experiencing the good life because he was punishing me. And, I, and that's my view of who God was, right? 
That's how I viewed God. And so and me and him weren't super close because I viewed him as this judgmental person who didn't love me, who didn't care for me, who didn't want me to experience the good life. I wasn't going to his word. I wasn't going to spend time with him. I wasn't praying to him because I didn't, because of the way I viewed him. So that's what that means. But just knowing that, I want you guys to know that I was totally wrong. I was so, so wrong because as we dive into truly understanding what the good life is made up of, what I've learned is that it's not about having the booziest shoes, the nicest closets or having the coolest clothes or having like the best of friends or all the money you could ever want or being number one in the world in Fortnite or whatever it may be for you. Like that's not the good life. And like you can fill in the blank with whatever you want and I guarantee you it won't fill you. But what I've learned is that the good life is this, is that it's, the good life begins by knowing who God is and who you are to him. I want you to write that down. Like if you are to experience the good life, then you need to know who God is and who you are to him. I want to give you some time to write that down because it's important because we're in, it's going to be our very first point today. If we are to experience the good life because it's not made up of all the stuff that we can acquire in this world, the good life begins by knowing who God is and who you are to him. Well, let me explain that a little bit. That if we're truly to know who God is and who we are to him, we need to go to his word. And before we go there, I'm going to tell you a quick story. I went on my very first mission trip when I was y'all's age. I was a middle schooler. I went to Portugal and I went with a group of professional surfers. So surfing has been a big part of my life and always has been. And I have loved it ever since I was a little kid. Like I started, I got my first surfboard when I was six years old and I've surfed my whole life. But we started working with a group of inner city, like the kids to pull them out of the projects and pull them out of the, like some bad situations and teach them how to surf. And so the house that we stayed in was literally right on the beach. And so we did that for an entire, like almost two full weeks. And then we did some tourism stuff and we went out to the villages in Portugal and went out to all the castles. But once again, like the second to last day that I was there, I really wanted to get up for a sunrise. And so I got up early one morning and walked out of the house and went down to the beach. And there weren't a whole lot of people around. It was a really early one morning. And there was a guy that was kind of off in the distance and he was sitting with his legs crossed and he had his head kind of pointed up like this and his eyes were closed. And I didn't know who it was. And I was walking closer to the shore. I realized that it was one of the missionaries that we were working with the entire weeks that we were there. And I just kind of walked over to him. And I said, excuse me, what are you doing? Like, it's just like, it's like one of the, mm, like, but he's not, but he's like legs crossed. Like, and he cracks open one eye and he looks at me and he closes his eye again. A big grin comes across his face and he says, I'm talking to Papa. I said, bro, Papa ain't here. I said, there's no one around us. Who are you talking to? Like, it doesn't make sense. And he's like, no, I'm talking. And I literally was like, who is Papa? And he goes, no, I'm talking to God. Like, oh. That's weird. Like literally that was the first thing that I thought of. I was like, that doesn't make sense. But then I realized that man, he and I viewed God so differently because never in my life up to middle school had I ever thought of God truly being father as a papa, as a dad kind of figure that we see never before. And the more that I actually read this word, the more that I see that he's actually like right in the way that he was viewing God. And so that's the passage that we're going to study this, this morning that comes out of Galatians. So if you have your Bibles with you, turn over to Galatians chapter three. If you don't, it's going to be on the screen. The Galatians chapter three, and we're going to start in verse 27 and then work our way into chapter four. Galatians three twenty-seven. So if you are 
If not sure where that is, you have a table of contents at the very beginning of your Bible. That'll just give you a page number for Galatians. If not, Galatians is in the New Testament. And so it's kind of like midway through the back portion of your Bible. You'll find Galatians. But this is what Galatians 3, 27 and on says. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to promise. And then starting in chapter four, I mean that the heir, as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave, though he is the owner of everything. But he is under guardians and managers until the date set by his father. In the same way, we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave and if a son, then an heir through God. I know that's a lot. That is a lot of words and a lot in a short period of time. And you're like, okay, I don't know what that means. But this is essentially what it means is that Paul's saying that Christ came to earth in order to redeem the law so that you and I can be an heir to the throne, that you and I can be an heir to the kingdom of God. So essentially Christ came to come so that we can experience the good life. That's what he's saying right here. And so to answer this question that you just wrote down, who is God and who are we to him? Like we just answered who God is. Like he is father, he is Abba father. But then we need to answer the second part of this and looking at, well, who are we to him, right? And what this passage tells us is that we are his children. We are, we are heirs to the throne. However, not all of us, that's a, that's a big distinguishing factor here. Not all of us are actual heirs. And here's what I mean by that. It says that some of you are slaves. Some of you are not sons. Some of you are slaves. And it's because you view God as this slave, slave master type relationship. And what that means is looking at like, you are so used to just going with the flow and going to God and saying, God, what do I need to do now? Like, I'll go do it. I don't know why I'm having to do this, but God, I'll have to go. I'll go do what you want me to do with my life. Like that is a slave, slave master type relationship. And we end up asking God that question all the time. Why? God, why do I have to do this? Why do I have to do that? I want to take your parents, for example. Your parents probably have chores for you to do at home, all right? Like you have to, they're going to be like, hey, Luke, go wash the dishes. Hey, Eli, go clean your room. Hey, you need to go mow the grass. You need to go take out the dog. You need to take, clean out the litter box. You need to whatever it may be. And some, do you ever ask why? I know when I was in middle school, I was constantly, why do I have to do this? Can't Samuel or my brother do this? Or can't my brother Josh do this? Like, I don't want to do that. I don't want to get off the video games. Why? Why do I only get to play for 30 minutes? Like, that's not fair. Mom, don't your legs work? Don't ever say that. Bad idea. It is utterly disrespectful and your mom will beat you, okay? Like that is a bad, bad thing. But I'm telling you that is because we normally, we are great at asking the question why. But because we ask why in our everyday life, we tend to do this with God. And we end up asking God like, God, why? Why, why, why? And what's the most common response when we ask our parents why? Because? Because I said so. That's exactly, and that was the response that would make me so angry because it was never explained. It was just because I said so, now go do it. Now that is the slave, slave master type relationship that we're addressing here is because we're, so we feel like it creeps into our relationship with God. 
My God, why do I have to do this? Because I said so. God, why do I have to go to church this week? Hey, because I said so. God, why do I have to read my Bible today? Because I said so. God, why do I have to give up this addiction? Because I said so, right? But I think because this I said so leaves, leads to this slave-slave master type relationship, what if we didn't hear God say, because I said so, but we heard him say, because you can trust me. How different would that make? And write that down. Because you can trust me. This is key to understanding who we are to God. Like not only are we sons, not only are we heirs to his throne and to his kingdom. And it's not because he just says, because I told you so, but he's because he's saying, you can trust me. I want to go back to this passage where it talks about how slaves aren't a whole lot different from, from children because they all run around the same estate, right? They all run around together. But this passage says slaves hang around the owner of the estate because they have to. It's this, hey, why am I here? Because the slave master says of you because I told you to be here. But kids also hang around the owner of the estate. I don't know if you've realized that, but why do they do it? But it's because they know that one day it'll be theirs. Does that make sense? It's just like you guys. A lot of you guys still come, you guys come to church regularly. A lot of you guys even here today, like you, you, we're, we have a mixture, I would imagine, of, of heirs to the throne and slaves to the throne, right? And because of that, y'all all look a lot alike. And it's hard to tell who's who. But really the difference here is, be, is the understanding of why you are here. Are you here because you have to be here? Or because you want to be here to draw closer to the master so that you can also know how to lead, how to manage, how to take control and how to take domain or dominion over what God has given you over his kingdom. Because the truth is that everything in this, everything in this world, everything God has created is in him, which means that we are an heir to that. And so it's through Christ that you have been adopted into this family. And that's what this passage is talking about as it talks about adoption is that God is saying, hey, I want you. I chose you to be a part of this family. I didn't come to the earth so that I would die so that you could be a slave to me. I came and died so that you can be an heir to my throne. He paid that price. And so that's who you are to God. But it's not only good enough to understand the good life from that perspective. Yes, it's great to say, hey, the good life is knowing who God is and knowing who you are to him. But who is he to you, right? That's point number two. That if we're truly to answer this question of how do I achieve the good life, we need to know who God is to you. We need to ask the question, who is God to me? And we learn the answer to that in verses four and five. Because what we find out here is that, is that God is a loving father who also loves his children. And this is what the passage says. It says, but in the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons, that we might be adopted into this family of God himself. If God wasn't a loving father, he would have said, like, deuces. He would have said, like, I'm not giving you the good life. Kaboot. And he would kick you off of the stage. But that's not what God came for. It's not why he gave, gave us his son, Jesus, to, to literally make you an heir to the throne. So literally in one swift stroke, Jesus came and he gave eternal life for all people. But for you to actually realize that, because some of you, I would imagine, may be slaves here today because you've never made that transition of, of I have to, to because you can trust me. And so for you to truly experience the good life, it's going to require you to give up that slave, slave master type relationship of understanding God himself. 
And that leads me to our last point is that it's this, if we're truly to experience the good life, it's not only knowing who God is and knowing who we are to him, not only answering who is God to us, but it's understanding that you are his child, that he deceives you as his child and that he offers you an eternal inheritance. He wants to give you his throne. He wants you to be a part of his family. He wants you to be intimate and close and in a relationship with him. And so the last question that I have for you guys, is like what is in your life that you personally are making the good life? Because when you get a small group, y'all are going to talk about what you wrote down as like the good life and what you thought that to be. But really like whether you're not a Christian, then I think that there's a time and place where you need to make that transition. You need to, to acknowledge who God is and, and what he's done for you so that you too can be adopted into this family because he's already paid the price. He said, hey, it's free. All you got to do is accept it. But I know for many of you guys, you guys have already made decisions to follow Christ. You guys have made decisions to be adopted into this family, to experience the good life. But this is the battle that our culture tells us, no, the good life looks a lot like the pictures that we just put up on the screen. The good life is a, is a whole lot of the stuff that we can acquire. And it's not about God. It's not about religion. It's not about doing good things. It's about the stuff. And so as believers, sometimes we can believe these lies. We can buy into the, what society tells us is good and right and what we need in life when really God gives us something so much more. And so this is just the foundation of where we're going today. This is the, the foundation that we're gonna build upon to truly understand and what is the good life because it's multi-layered. There are many, many layers to this question that we're gonna answer today, but that's the beginning. And so that's the question I want you to really answer whether you are, are, are someone who's inquisitive about the gospel who's wondering like, man, who is God? And I'm, I'm open to learning about this. Then my, my challenge to you is that to dive in this today, dive in with us because this is just the beginning of understanding God's love for you. But at the same time, you need to be able to answer, man, what am I filling this in the gap here as the good life? Is it straight A's? Is it constantly pleasing your parents? Is it always doing what you need to do in the right time in the right place? Is it being a star athlete? Is it one to be a pro golfer, a pro soccer player, a pro gymnast? I promise you those things will leave you empty. So if that's not the good life, then you need to answer what, like what is. That's what we're about today. But that's the question that I want you guys to start thinking about as we go to groups and as we move into our session two this afternoon and then session three this evening is do I know the good life? Have I experienced the good life? Father God, thank you so much for this morning. Thank you for this time together and the time that we get to spend in your word and truly understanding what it is that you have for us. God, you've given us so much in this life and it has so much to offer because of you. And we just praise you for that. I thank you for these students and the time that they're, they're pouring into being here with one another. I pray that they will make friends. I pray that they will connect with people that they didn't know when they walked in the door this morning. And I, God, I, more than anything, I pray that they connect with you. God, we love you. And it's your name we pray. Amen.